Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Well, I'm not assuming for a second that any of you uh, know us or know who we are, but we have been uh, serving the Lord uh, at a church that we were blessed to start over 30 years ago in uh, Chicago, up until recently, about a year ago, and the Lord has uh, seen fit to allow us to go through a season of suffering and separation from the church that we gave our lives to, and it's been a valley. And uh, so... um, Our son actually moved out to this area, and on a Sunday morning, we were privileged to be here and to worship with the church family here, and I would typically always go up and meet the pastor afterwards, but in this instance, I just didn't, and I felt, you know how the Holy Spirit kind of nudges you, and so when it was like all day, and I wish I had been like, okay, but I was like, no, 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 until evening, and then finally, I texted Pastor Jeff on the phone. We hadn't met before, but we have a lot of mutual friends, and he um, said, come over tomorrow, I'll change my schedule. Doesn't he kind of sound just like that? I mean, I, I think I've got a good imitation of him growing. And he, he just, I'm just sat in his office and shed a few tears and talked to him for a couple of hours. And I got to just say, felt really pastored. And um, through that, we just talked a little bit more and he's out of town and gave us an opportunity to come and preach. So this actually, after preaching four or five times a week with never more than two or three weeks off for 30 years, this is the first time I've been up in front of anyone for 13 months. So uh, thank you. Thank you. So we're super grateful for Pastor Jeff and the love that we felt from the people here and the times that we've been able to be here and uh, visiting our kids and so on. And we're just trusting the Lord for what he has without really knowing what he has. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of sort of diagramming what it's going to look like. And then the etch-a-sketch, everything. And uh, But it's kind of exciting to see what the Lord has, and we love the Lord more than we ever have and love his word more than we ever have. And so it's pretty uh, much a privilege just to encourage you to open your Bibles, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 16. One of the things I love about Calvary chapels in general, and this Calvary chapel very specifically, is the attention and respect that they show for God's word. How many of y'all have a Bible with you? Hold up your Bible if you have it. Half points for electronic Bibles, uh, full points for legit real Bibles, and, and uh, that's awesome. And uh, so you should be able to find Acts chapter 16, and we're going to do what you, I think, have been well uh, trained to expect. We're going to start in the first word of the chapter, and that'll mean we're getting going, and then we're going to kind of move through it when we're halfway through. The, how many verses is there in the chapter? I was going to study that, and I got super busy. 40. So there's 40 verses. So like when we're at 20, you can be like, well, we're kind of halfway done. And, and uh, then as, you know, I think you get it. So we're going to go through all of it. And um, let me ask you a question as we just kind of get ready to launch into Acts chapter 16. There's a full, full spiritual meal there, a freshly prepared today. And um, have you ever noticed that some Christians seem uh, a lot stronger than other Christians? Come on, come on, don't leave me up here. How many people ever noticed this? Some Christians seem a lot stronger than other Christians. Some people are really better at being Christians than other people 
are at being Christians. And the people that think they're the best at being Christians aren't always the ones that actually are the best at it, but some just seem better at it than others. Hands up if you agree. Okay, so now hands up if you think you're one of the ones that's super awesome at it. (laughs) Come on, hands up. I'm like so good at this. You have no idea. I wish people would follow me around. I'm laying it down every day. Hands up. Okay, some of you, good for you in the back there. Well done, but you are sitting in the back, I'll say, unless that's an expression of humility. Um, I marvel sometimes at how some people just seem so strong, so able, and others seem, I've at times seemed to be just like steamrolled by difficult things. Acts chapter 16 is about a strong church. If you were standing and you were looking at Acts chapter 16, if you were there for the original version, um, you'd be like, dang, they're all strong, y'all. Look, they are strong. Look what's happened to them, but they're still, say it. Say it, they're still strong. You guys allowed to talk in church? I really don't know what the rules are. You allowed to talk in church? Just don't talk out of turn. But come on now, they are strong. Lift up your voice. What are they? Strong. Let me show you how strong they are. If you're ready to jump into verse one, say jump. Here it is. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. I know that's probably not ringing the bell for a lot of you, but there are the, bio, there are the maps in the back. Do you have hands up if you've got maps in the back of your Bible? These are inspired by um, the apostle Thomas. <laughs> True or false? True or false? False. They are not inspired, but they are helpful. Some people look at this like, why don't we ever get to use the maps in the back? Use it now. <laughs> Asia Minor is pretty straightforward. You know, have you ever looked at the Mediterranean Sea? You got like, I'll do it from your angle. You got like Italy hanging down with that. What's that shape at the bottom? And then you got the next one hanging down kind of like this. That's Greece. And then you got like a, another space. And then you got this like big thing. And that's kind of Turkey. No one ever thinks I should be a geography teacher, but it looks like that. And so Paul has left... It's actually quite far from where he was converted on the road to Damascus, and he's taking the gospel. I would say he's real excited about this mission team that's going out. Paul didn't go that far, but he was taking the gospel further than anyone had taken it. He was on the far outside circle in terms of miles from where this all began. So that was strong. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, a disciple there, Uh, named Timothy, that's kind of a big deal. I needed a little lead up to that. Timothy's a big deal in the New Testament, and this is the first mention of Timothy. So I'll read it again, but if you could go like, ta-da, or something like that, that'd be super helpful. A disciple was there named Timothy. Timothy, this is kind of a big deal because Timothy's mentioned, do you know, 26 times in the New Testament, uh, Paul is a huge fan, wrote two whole letters just to Timothy. Um, Philippians 2.20 says that no one like him cared for our welfare. This, this guy was, uh, the word strong comes to mind. But here it's going to get a little difficult. Um, he was well-spoken by the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and... Never mind. (laughs) What? Hey, hey, a couple more things we got to just go over here before you head out on your mission trip. (laughs) 
Now, preachers have bad dreams too. And one of the things preachers have bad dreams is about is, is like the few times in the New Testament where it talks about circumcision. And you're, you're so afraid that somebody, that's, this is the night they brought their friend, right? So they're, for sure, there's someone sitting here, dang, why did I bring them tonight? Because the guy's just listening to this part and he's like, this is freaky, this is freaky. I knew these people were freaks. <laughs> so a little bit of background on this. The Jewish people had a ceremony performed on the males eight days after they were born, circumcision, and it was a huge part of their religious commitment, so much so, and we make this mistake too, the rule moved past the form, past the function, and it became the religion itself. So much so that the Jewish people were not even willing to hear a message about God from a male who did not pass through that right. Now, Acts 15 is the conference to solve it. Could have called Acts 15 the conference on circumcision. Because as the missionaries went out, the first thing they did in every city across Asia Minor was they went, went always to what does Romans 16 say? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew. Come on, fill in the blank, loved ones. To the Jew. To the Jew first. This was the mission that they had. So in every city, the first thing they did was they went into a synagogue. And this was going to be a huge problem because the people in the synagogue didn't want to hear from Jesus about people who hadn't had this ceremony. So Acts 15 was about this, basically. You don't have to have it. If you've had it, it's good. If you haven't, it's fine. That the gospel isn't about these Old Testament ceremonial regulations that we are free from the ceremonial law in Christ. So Timothy was probably following this conference very closely hoping for a particular outcome. And when he heard that, they're like, all in favor of no more, you have to. And when the vote came in, you don't have to. How happy was Timothy? On a scale of one to 10, call out the number you think how happy he was. <laughs> Men, what's the number? <laughs> 10, thank you. He was 10 happy. They're, oh man, talk about dodging a bullet, right? So then when Paul shows up, and says to him, hey, I got some news for you. Come on, we gotta go for a walk. Now, I'm sure you heard the results of the conference in, well, they didn't call it Acts 15 then. It was like the Jerusalem Council. I'm sure you heard the results of the conference, but here's the thing. You don't have to do it, but you have to do it. That's really interesting. Think about that for a second. How many things like that in the Christian life are just exactly like that? I don't have to, but I have to. This is a really, really, really significant point for how you get strong and why so often we are weak. I could have said it a lot of different ways, but I decided to say it this way. If you like to jot things down, jot this down. No rights no fights. 
I mean, there was a big fight right here at the end of, of Acts 15. Do you know the last paragraph of Acts 15? Context is important, right? What's the, look at your Bible. What's the last thing that happened in Acts 15? They're, they're heading out on missionary journey number two. The superstar missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, are like, let's go do it again. That was awesome. Like, yeah, let's go. Verse 37. Barnabas is like, yeah, let's get John Mark again. Paul's like, yeah, let's not. And it started off small, but apparently it was like, well, I really want him to come. Well, I really don't want him to come. Well, I want him to come bad enough to hit you. Well, you should try. And somehow this got to walk away. Walk away. The apostle Paul's like, you know what? If you think he's so important, then why don't you just try to do this job on your own? And Barnabas was like, I think I will. Says it right there, and they parted ways. Right there, strength draining. Like a tap in your side, the strength. As when you are asserting your rights, when you are like, my way or the, say it. That, that we are losing big time every time we are asserting our rights. But sometimes we sacrifice our rights to accomplish a greater good. And what Paul decided for Timothy, he must have been willing, was that even though we couldn't require Jewish people to have, we couldn't require Greeks and so on that didn't have this right to have it, we knew that it would make people more receptive to the gospel. And so even though we weren't required to go that extra mile, even though they decided you didn't have to do it, man, Timothy, if you'd give up your right to self-determine here, if you would lay down on the matter of what you might prefer and go the second mile to make it easier for people to hear the truth, that would sure be awesome. No wonder that paragraph concludes with, why Paul, why Paul? He circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Timothy, by the way, comes from a pretty big faith family. Anybody know the passage that talks about that? Anybody? Ding, 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 ding. 2 Timothy 3 says that or well, actually, First Timothy 1 talks about his, what was it, his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. Not, not an awesome name, Eunice. I hope there's no Eunices here. There, there couldn't be. I've dedicated a lot of little babies at the front of the church. I've never held a Eunice in my arms, I can tell you that. That's, that's a really strange name. Does anyone know anyone named Eunice? Sorry, I knew it. I just knew that was going to happen. Either way, he had his mother and his grandmother. Now, I don't know how many of you are, how many of y'all are first-generation believers? You're the first believer in your family, or, or when you came to Christ, you were the first believer in your family. Maybe your parents have come since, but hold up your hand if you were the first link in the chain. That's a big deal. Hold up your hand if you're link two in the chain. Anybody here link three in the chain? Big time, that's really a blessing. You're super blessed. Anybody link four? Yeah. Here's a picture. Do you have that picture of me? This is a picture of me with my uh, great-grandfather coming out of church. And I wanted to tell you this story. I told the story to Pastor Jeff. And um, it was pretty amazing how we came at... Uh, do you have that picture? You don't have it. Shake your hand, yes or no, up or down. Have it, don't have it. Where am I supposed to be looking? 
someplace where I won't look confused. Anyway, you can imagine the picture. I'll show you afterwards. Come up, it's on my phone. I, I'm actually named after James McDonald. I'm actually named after my great-grandfather's brother, who was from, I grew up in Ontario, Canada. My family's from Ontario, Canada. And my great-grandfather, um, his brother was from Long Beach, California. And he would come home to Ontario, Canada every summer, and he would say to my great-grandfather, no believers in my family at that point, he would say to my great-grandfather, well, Hugh, you're a year older, but are you a year wiser and are you wise to the ways of salvation? And year after year, he'd come home from Long Beach, back to Canada in the summertime, and he would visit with family, and he would share the gospel. And after uh, several years of this, my great-grandfather gave his life to Christ. And so when I was born, my father, who had come to faith, his father had come to faith, and I was the fourth generation of that. Now, praise the Lord, we have grandsons of our own who are following the Lord. So that, I guess, is six, and that's a super big blessing. But I can tell you this, it took one faithful witness a long time ago and that vision for generational obedience. I'm gonna say more about generational obedience in a minute, but let's keep going through the text and thinking about what happens when we give up our rights. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. That had to hurt, right? So Timothy has to give up his rights. And then as they go around, they'd start telling everyone, you don't have to give up your rights. But here's the strength right here. Look at the strength, verse five. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. I've seen this again and again. Assert your rights, lose strength. Forego your rights, gain strength. Demand what's yours, demand to be heard, demand that it's fair, demand that it's over, demand that it's time, demand that it's you, demand that it's now. Strength fleeing from you. Give up your rights. Said Now, when can't you give up your rights? Because that could go, how many people can see that could go too far? Don't give up your rights when it's damaging you, when it's damaging an innocent person, when someone's breaking, if someone's breaking the law, call the police. The Bible says that uh, the powers that be are established for the punishment of evildoers, for our protection. But just in the normal back and forth of human relationships, get strong by giving up your rights. Now, here's the second paragraph, so we should have a second thought to go with this. Uh, look at verse six. And they went through the region of uh, Pergia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, if you were going to do a Bible study on those two verses, what would you say is the main theme that's coming out of those two verses? Look for the repetition. Come on, come on. I know you want me to just to give it to you all, but I know this is hard. What's there? Thank you, Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. This is on quite a tour here. Listen to the list of the places. Pergia, Galatia, speak the word in Asia. When they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. There's quite a tour they're on here, visiting a lot of places. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there. Now, I don't know what this vision in the night was. Does anyone know about what the vision is the night? Like, is it like a dream? Is it a dream? 
Is it like a film strip and you're watching it on the wall and it's like all playing out in front of you in a big light beam? Does anyone know? I got super busy today and I didn't get a chance to study this. Come on, everybody say, we don't know. Man, I get weary of Bible teaching that tells us stuff we don't know. I don't know what it was. It was a vision. He saw something. Was the guy actually there? Was he just seeing like a light beam of the guy there? Say it again. We don't know. Don't know. So let's move on. Don't know. I think you can get a lot further in the Bible a lot faster if you just write a few I don't knows in the margin. Paul said to the Corinthians, do not exceed what is written. Do not exceed what is written. If we're spending time talking about things that the Bible isn't clear or explicit about, oh, newsflash, on the side, God's super happy with the Bible. They're never up in heaven going, why didn't we say more about this? Who saw this coming? We should have had more about the viruses. (laughs) Come on, everyone lift up your voice and say, not in heaven. Not in heaven. They're never saying that in heaven. God really, really likes the Bible. He wrote it. He said everything he wanted to say, it's clear where he wants it clear, and it's left for faith where he left a space. Check? Good. So this guy from Macedonia appears to him in a vision. He's standing there urging him now, I try to imagine, I use my imagination a lot when I'm studying the Bible, I try to imagine the voice of this guy saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. What do you think that sounded like? He's like, hey, dude, come on over to Macedonia, man. We're having like a surfing party. And Oh, uh, note to self, in California, no more California jokes. So, <laughs> so maybe it was like, was it more formal, like... Um, Hello there, we love it if you'd come over to Macedonia and like I really, come on, say don't know. Somehow the guy was like, hey, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, next word, come on, lift up your voice. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately, immediately, this is a really, really um, second thing to get strong. The spirit will call. Some of you come to this Thursday night study and you need strength so much. But would you let the the word teach you about how you could get stronger? Lay down some rights. Then this, invite the Holy Spirit to call you afresh to something. See, the Spirit calls. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the next part of it is, is it's just so surprising that Nothing's too small. Look, all this, we went to this city, went to this city, went to this city, went to this city. Apparently, they weren't following the Spirit that well because heaven was like, just send somebody. They're never going to figure it out. So the guy shows up. He's like, Macedonia, man. How can you keep walking past this? Or whatever it was he said exactly. And Paul's like, awesome. We couldn't figure it out. So immediately, he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding, you know, not exactly Sherlock Holmes on this point, Well, God's called us to preach the gospel to them, I guess. Yeah, the guy with the vision helped a lot. So I just like, I'm sorry, but things are so funny to me. Don't you think that's funny? Paul's concluding, I think God's calling us to the place that the guy who just showed up in my room told me he was calling us to. Good call. Good call, Paul. That's what God is in fact doing. 
The Holy Spirit is calling you to go to Macedonia. So setting sail, verse 11, from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. So um, easy to get to or hard to get to? Help me. Hard to get to. Not an easy place to get to. Man, God must have some big arena full of people for uh, Paul to preach to if he has to go to all this trouble. He goes to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside. I've been blessed to be uh, to uh, Philippi, my wife and I, and uh, I've been to this exact river, the only river, in this excavated area known as Philippi. We have this site is excavated. It's not disputed at all. So they go to this river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women. Why are the women of faith by the river? Why aren't they in the synagogue? Um, no men, no men. You had to have 10 men to start a synagogue so there weren't 10 men, apparently, because the women of faith had no synagogue to go to. They went and sat by the river to pray. This is kind of a big deal what's happening here. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Now, let me just say that um, the Bible teaches the total equality of men and women. And that was a great spot for an amen. No, it was not from the women. Come on, guys, I'm setting you up so beautifully here. If you're sitting beside someone you love and the pastor says that the Bible teaches the total equality of men and women, you can score huge points right now, with a, though I've diminished the point somewhat by explaining it to you in this amount of detail. Nevertheless, so that you can have the points that remain, men, I would just point out to you that the Bible teaches the total equality of men and women. Okay. I try. Look for those softballs, though, guys. So, <laughs> however, in the culture of the New Testament, not free candidly from some of the law and baseless discrimination against women in the Old Testament, while men and women are equal before God in every way, they're not the same, and there is role distinction based upon gender in the Bible, and the fact that the not pastor, not evangelist, but apostle Paul. How many apostles were there? Well, 12, 11. Wait, 12 again. And Paul was like, I was an apostle born out of time. Apostle had to see the resurrected Christ, had to be able to do miracles on demand. Some people believe apostles are for today. I don't want to have that argument. I'll just tell you that Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. How many foundations in a building? How many apostles in the church? I think there was 12, 11, 12. Well, not really ever 12 because Judas was never an apostle. This was the commission given by Christ. He missed that part. So in the end, 12. Am I babbling? So God called an apostle to travel for several days by boat, by walking, by riding, by walking, by boat, by riding, by boat, by walking, by to get to a river to share 
guys, you're going to want to say awesome in a second. To get to a river to share Jesus with a group of women. It is awesome. It is awesome. Don't miss the message. She mattered. She mattered. She mattered to God. And she had kind of a cool um, career, which the Holy Spirit wants us to know or it wouldn't be written down. She was in Philippi by this river, but she was from Thyatira and her job was she was a seller of, say, purple goods. You know, in our day of synthetic colors, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Why wasn't she selling green? No, no. It wasn't like that then, making these colors. They made the color purple by a dye that they extracted from the vein that ran down the back of a snail. How many, so when you see purple was considered the color of, tell me, royalty, why? Snails, that's a lot of dough, bro. To get enough of the dye to make the thing purple, I'm sure when a king walked by, somebody's like, dude, how many snails for that outfit? <laughs> right? Only a king could afford this. And so she was selling this super expensive and exclusive um, cloth or garment. But more important than her career, it's good for us all to remember that, right? Who we are, not what we do, amen? She was a worshiper of God. And then I love this next phrase. Who opened her heart? The Lord had opened her heart. Preachers don't open hearts. Preachers don't open hearts. Pastors don't open hearts. Listen up, listen up. Parents don't open hearts. Point to who opens hearts. But it's just good to come to church and be remembered about that, right? And just think for just one second on all the people that are on your heart and some of the people that are, Lord, I just don't know if I'm gonna be okay if she doesn't get saved. Right? God opens hearts. God opens hearts. That should help our praying. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I always thought Paul was a fairly interesting guy, but apparently she was staring off into space. She's like, Paul's talking, she's like, uh, I don't know. And so the Holy Spirit had to be like, listen to him. Because, isn't that what the text says? Look at it. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Like, all right, fine, I'll listen. But isn't that always the way? That's why you're gonna be inviting some people to come on Easter who are gonna hear the gospel because who, I already forgot, who opens their heart? The Lord opens their heart and the person that you think is the least likely even to be open to responding. God can lay them out, boom, in one service. Hold up your hand if you believe that. Just get them here, just get them here. Just do, I'll, I'll buy you donuts. I'll, I'll pick you up. I'll, I'll, I'll steam clean your carpet. I'll just get, just get, just play tricks and get people into the Lord's house. 
Let them come under the sound. God can break some hard rocks. Hold up your hand if you were a hard rock and God broke you. He will break the rock. Is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Amen. So let's just remember that. It's what happened to this purple lady. (laughs) And after she was baptized and her household as well, one of the skills that you lose when you haven't preached for a year is telling time. Just note to self and I have no idea what time it is. Let me just look. <clears throat> okay, I got a minute or two here, but a lot of great scripture. That thing I said about being halfway at, forget that. And after she was baptized and her household, if you like to underline things in your Bible, underline that. And her household, say it. I'll say my part, then yours. And after she was baptized, boom. So two extremes here. Some people, I think, wrongly teach household salvation. If dad's saved, everybody's saved. True or false? Well done. Uh, The other extreme, though, also a problem. Um, We have three kids, our... our, uh, Two sons are the oldest. They made pretty straight lines to follow the Lord. Pretty straight. Our daughter made it a little harder on herself. There was a time when that was so hard on us, I wouldn't have even been able to speak of it. But, you know, that's between 10 and 15 years ago now, and she loves the Lord so much, and she's given us a beautiful grandchild, and God did a lot. But there were times when it was so far gone that I couldn't even think of things to pray about. Because, you know, when you're praying, you're sort of thinking up ideas and, well, you could do this, God, and maybe if this was, and, and I could, just couldn't even think of something to ask, really. And uh, I guess the reason I'm taking a minute to say that is, is because during that time in our life, I called a pastor that I still really respect, but he said something to me that I really have been shaped by because I asked him to pray for her, and he said to me, have you ever considered the possibility that maybe your daughter's just not one of the elect? I, I swear, I, pr- I practically drove my car in the ditch. I said, no, no, no. And he said, well, let me pray for you. And he prayed some flat, lifeless, vanilla, expect nothing from God prayer. And I immediately deleted it from my mind. Don't let faithless people, don't let faulty theology, don't let one verse in the Bible cheat you out of another verse in the Bible, okay? The reality of this is, is I understand what the Bible teaches about election. I understand all of that. I'm not here to deny a single scripture, but I also know what the Bible says about answered prayer. And I also know what the Bible says. I believe that it is God's desire that all should be saved. And so it certainly is intent when he reaches a person. I told you about my great-grandfather. His brother was the first, then him, then my grandfather, then my father. It, God's, don't ever let yourself believe not for a moment. And someone who's here tonight and your kid is where my kid, where our kid was, and I wanna be the faith for you when you can't even think in your mind how this could be different than it is. Now, I know that it hurts to hope. And I know sometimes it's hard to keep praying because to really pray, you gotta hurt about what isn't. 
But hurting about what isn't is a big part of getting to what is. And don't let the enemy sow seeds of doubt in the field of faith about what God's heart is for those people that are on your heart to come to know Jesus. And let this service begin to build some new faith in you that God's not done yet. Nothing's over. We're still breathing. He's on the throne. The spirit is working. God can do this. God can do this. That's a really, really fun part to preach. You, you pretend that we're all preaching and say, God can do this. No, but say it like you're a preacher with a little more in your throat. Like, come on now. God can do this. God can do this. God can do this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Amen. So here, she's saved her household. We've seen that happen. Those are great stories in the church when a whole family comes to faith. I'm sure there was like a video about this in the weekend service when this, I don't think they had videos then, but I think you know what I'm saying. So, and then she says, urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So look up here. If you're here right now or listening in and you need strength, lay down some rights. Stop demanding and get a fresh call from God about something and get after it. God wants me to call her. God wants me to write him a letter. I'm gonna make a phone call tomorrow. I'm gonna go stand where I know this kind of conversation will come to me. I'm gonna get busy about something new for God and watch the strength surge in your soul. Next paragraph, verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Anybody know what that is? This is like that sign outside that little shack, you know, on the kind of third street, the palm reader thing, you know, horoscopes read here and all that. Pick a card, any card, you know, the nasty lady with the one eye thing and all that. That's, that's this girl. God bless. She had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by, there it is, fortune telling. She, I think something really terrible is coming. She followed Paul and us crying out. Now, don't you think she's looking at a crowd? These men are evil. Don't listen to them or something like that. That's not what she says. It seems like kind of a surprise. She says, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, on the surface, that doesn't seem like a big problem, right? Wow, we're getting a little bump from horoscope lady. I didn't see that coming. So the palm reader shows up and she's like, these are the real guys. Listen to them. The problem was, keep reading, you'll see the problem. This she kept on doing for many days. Now, one time would be an encouragement. Twice would be, amen. Third time, hallelujah, sister, have a seat. (laughs) Fourth time, these men are servants of the most high God. Listen to them. And be like, ushers. <laughs> right? Am I right? I mean, by, by two hours into it, what about when she'd said it, ding, 500 times? And she's like, these men are servants. She's losing her voice. But she didn't do it for hours. She did it for days. How's that affecting your ministry, Paul? Um, it's not awesome. What's happening now? I've tried to be super patient. 
I gotta say, I really like his response here. Comforts me. This she kept on doing for many days, Paul having become greatly. Oh, praise God. <laughs> praise God for Paul. Anyone else here ever get annoyed? Don't leave me up here. I see that some of the ladies are like, that's your time right there. <laughs> Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, so interesting, not to the woman. What insight. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that hour. Boom. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, that's cruel right there, y'all. She doesn't even have a name. She's just our hope of gain. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rules, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews out of town, and they're disturbing our city. Eh, that seems a little stretched. I think it was more the horoscope lady. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us. That's for sure not true. As Romans, oh yeah, now you're a big Roman, aren't you, Mr. Greek guy? As Romans to accept or practice. Wow, when did he get a conscience? The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments. Never a good sign. Tore the garments off them. Uh-oh. And gave orders to beat them with rods. This really happened, right? Anybody, anybody believe this really happened? So they're serving Jesus. They're giving their all and they are beaten with many rods. I used to say, I used to kind of kid around and say, I don't think I'm gonna get invited to the suffering banquet in heaven. You know, like the big suffering banquet. I think I'll be sitting on the front porch of my mansion, my wife and I, and you know, Corey Tenboom will walk by and we're like, hey, where are you going, Corey? She's like, well, I'm going to the suffering bank. And we're like, ah, oh, we didn't get invited to that. I mean, I would think you'd have to have some like pretty high suffering scores to get to that, right? But getting beaten till the blood runs down your back reminds me of the scripture that says, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. It's a good pattern to sort of take the things that you think you're suffering and enduring, and I'll do it with you, and put them in the context of what believers in Christ have suffered through the centuries. You still sure you want to give your testimony? And I'm not saying some of you haven't suffered a great deal. Please hear me because I don't know your story. But I know that all of us on the whole would certainly not average. How many blows did they give them? What does it say? Verse 23, and when they had inflicted Many, but why would they say many? Because they lost count. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. How's it going, Paul? How's the ministry going? Um, yeah, it's been a rough, rough season here. God made us travel over hill and dale and just boat ride after. And we got there and we just this one lady and I mean, her family got saved too. I mean, it was awesome, but I mean, then we just got beaten and now we're in prison. I mean, if you could actually have a little listen in on Paul and his 
partners. What do you think was the conversation there in prison that night? This kind of sucks. This is not awesome, right? But no, no, not at all. And this is why they were so strong. Maybe, um, you know, just by way of review, the first thing is no rights, no fights. Lay down your rights. And spirit will call. Nothing's too small. He was faithful to that. And then this, suffering is real. It's part of the deal. It's just the way it is. That's the Christian life. Now, not a lot of pastors say, we're gonna do a 15-week study on suffering. Doesn't really turn out the people. But the New Testament could not be more clear that suffering, far from evidencing that something has gone way wrong in your life, is actually proof of genuine citizenship in God's family. Anyone got a verse to back that up? Verse to back that up? Oh, oh, oh. Hebrews 12, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you are without discipline, you know, you're illegitimate, not one of his children, not really from the heavenly father parentage, not born of the spirit. All his kids are getting it. Disciplined in some way. We had earthly fathers who disciplined us imperfectly. They did it often for their own relief. Hebrews 12 says, but he for our good that we might be partakers of his holiness. Holiness. That's what I'm going through this for? Well, if we think that, we have a very, very wrong view of what holiness actually is, which is a ridding our lives of what has made us so restless and so miserable for so long. And take it from a couple who's seen what they have go like this over the last year. There is something very, very beautiful about getting reduced and reduced again and again to the things that matter most. And there's a very loving, loving hand behind that. How much of our misery is the result of our wrestling with things that matter less and not leaning into those things that matter most? And the apostles must have known this because here it comes. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Everyone say, wow. Wait, 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 but, 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 but time it good. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. You know how you sing, you know how you sing when the prisoners are listening, right? When the other people are listening, you know how you sing like, what do you think, if you had to just guess, what do you think Paul's voice was like? Was he like Alex? Man, that guy's got a beautiful voice, right? Was he like, was he like oh man, everyone stop singing, listen to him. Or do you think Paul was like that guy like in the fourth row who thinks he's the only person in the room? You know, I love you, Lord. And we're like, hmm. You know that guy? Everybody say that guy. Do you think Paul, I think Paul was probably that guy. So I think that singing was just like terrible. Maybe, maybe Silas, you know, usually the second guy's got a little better. Does Pastor Jeff to sing, does he sing good? Does he sing good? I hope he's not listening. Okay. (laughs) 
Now, this is really interesting. They were singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the fountains of the prison were shaken. All the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Oh, man. You're like, man, why don't, I, why, don't, why don't I see more miracles in my life like that? Um, start here. Start with more singing and praising God during suffering. True confessions, I'll go first. I have not always sung hymns and praised God during my suffering. But I have sometimes gotten there. And I have never gotten to singing and praising while suffering, never gotten there when I haven't seen and felt an earthquake. If you're looking for the strength, I mean the big strength. I mean like when the heavens open and the mercy pours down and you're like, any mountain, any time, go. You want to be like that? You can probably remember sometimes when you felt like that spiritually, but you start, we start asserting our rights and losing track of God's call. It's amazing how serving the Lord can get you into so many things that you're not even gifted to do. But if you'd lay down those rights and get back to that call and sing in the midst of suffering, it'll start to shake. And that's where power comes upon God's people. But how many of us are whining and complaining and white-knuckling and resentful that this isn't over? Try singing. Try praising God. Just try it. Turn to your neighbor and say, try it. Just try it. Just try it. I don't know, Martha. It's worth a try. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he threw his sword. He drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Because that's like prison, that's like kind of prison 101, right? Like in the orientation class, like if the doors ever open, run. So the fact that the doors had opened, but the prisoners weren't gone, didn't even occur. It was, I don't need to check. I know they're gone. I don't even need to check. I'm just in... This part of the world at this time, if you let a prisoner escape, we see this in Acts chapter 12. If you let a prisoner escape, you get the punishment that they were gonna get. So nothing good was in mind for Paul and Silas because he thought, well, if they're gone, I'm gonna have to give myself what they were gonna give me. It'll be a little easier. This is so awesome. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. It's just so awesome. We're all here. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In other words, he was saying, y'all are buying yourselves what you're selling. You don't see that that often. That's what you want in your preachers. 
buying what they're selling. I'm a satisfied customer of singing during suffering. I'm a frustrated failure at asserting rights, and I feel so much more strength when I lay them down. And when I get focused again on God's call and start using my gifts, the ones he gave, and not a lot of the rest of it, you just get a lot stronger. And nobody wants to hear from people that aren't customers of the thing that they are promoting And I am afresh and commend these truths to you. This guy's like, this is real, y'all. Whatever these guys have, I don't have it. Whatever they have, I don't have it. Can I get that? I don't have that. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your household. There it is again, God's heart. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. That must have been quite a party because the next verse says, but when it was day, you ever, ever go to that party? Like, oh my gosh, the sun's coming up. This has been so awesome. You say, well, not for a while. No, I haven't been to one of those parties for a while either, but I remember them, but not recently. When it was day, the magic, I guess it was like, oh yeah, I remember we were, like, we were in prison. We got some stuff to sort out. Yeah, where'd, we, where'd, those, where'd those handcuffs go? The magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. Now this is really interesting. Suffering is real. It's part of the deal. Here's the last thing. God's not vindicating. If God's not vindicating you, he might be indicating to you that there's more joy needed. I mean, God could, have, God could have freed the apostles at the river and just kept it all from happening. He could have freed the apostles when the, when the tarot card lady was, wouldn't shut up. God could have freed them in the, in the prison part, in the, in the earthquake. God could have done it a lot of times, but interesting how the vindication didn't come until after some of these victories, but here it is. The magistrates said, come out now and go in peace. Paul said, nah, I don't think so. This is super strong. I mean, if you'd been through what they've been through and the people in charge were like, you should go now, what would you do? Run! Paul was strong though. This like singing during suffering, being on the job, not demanding your rights. Paul had been about this for quite a time and you can get real strong. And I'm not saying I'm there. I'm just saying he was there. So they're like, you, you can go. He's like, no, I don't think so. You've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men. We're Roman citizens. You've thrown us into prison. Now you're just gonna throw us out secretly? I don't think so. Let them come themselves and, what? <laughs> no, Paul, 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 come on, let's go. Nope, nope. Paul, Paul, seriously, let it go, bro. Let it go. No, I'm not letting it go. They're gonna come and let, they thought we should be in here. They could come and let us out. This seems like a very bad plan. The police reported these words to the magistrates. How'd that conversation go? He says you can come and let him out yourself. The guy with the dress on, like the main guy with the gavel, that guy. Those people don't like to be told stuff like that. But they were afraid. God, 
God, miracle. They were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. They came and apologized. This should be a spot, this is a spot for a cheer. They came and apologized. That hardly ever happens. And they took them out and asked them, it would be awesome if you guys would go though. We're real sorry. We're real sorry you spent the night in jail. But it would be really awesome if you left. So watch what they do. They asked them to leave the city. So they went to the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, eh, we'll go when we're good and ready. They encouraged them and departed. They were so strong. They were so strong. They were so confident in God. Were they following the same God that we're following? Were they serving the same God that we're serving? Why were they so strong? Why are some Christians so strong? You had to be tied up in some of the things that were going on. And when I look at it, it's like, well, they were laying down their rights. And they were like doing the job that God called them to do. And they were singing in the middle of suffering. Then the vindication came. Come on, let's talk to God about that. Father, we're super grateful for your word. We love, love, love to study it. It's so real and, and so perfectly connected to our lives today. And we do, we see the gap between who we are and who these great pillars of your church were. But we know that as long as we have life and breath, you've not given up on us. And so we seek your grace and forgiveness for where we have failed you. And we ask for fresh mercy, not in his excuse to keep on sinning, but as a, as a calling to be stronger still. And so we're waiting upon you. We're meditating upon these things. And we're asking, Lord, that you would grant us a greater measure of your strength. Lift up your hand while your head is bowed. And if you just want me to pray for you, more strength. I got to have more strength. I've been weak. I've been feeling really weak. Come on, lift your hand up high. Be strong with your arm. And God, for every person exercising the strength that they have, thank you that when we are weak, we are strong. And by raising our hand, we say to you, more strength, God, more strength in the face of temptation, more strength for the trial, more humility to bear up under it. Free us from bitterness. Grant us overwhelming capacity to forgive and be the grace to others that you have been to us. By faith, we receive your strength as we wait upon you now. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.